I do want to tell you that I believe Jesus is nice and wonderful and beautiful. But I'm often amazed because people say, Jesus never said anything harsh to anyone. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't think it would have felt good to say. Basically, he said, you're outside the covenant. You're not one of the children. I don't know if you remember the self-righteous who were in the covenant, but they were self-righteous. He told them, he said, you're of your father the devil. Well, I don't know about you, but that don't sound like a real nice, a real nice thing. But if they'll take the hard words of God and apply it to their lives, they don't have to be outside uh, of the kingdom or outside of the covenant or in cahoots with the devil. So uh, the good news is, even when Jesus is, is tough, he's always moving us towards, towards relationship and health and healing and all those kind of things. So a few um, uh, announcements today. There's still some survey the discipleship surveys are eight and a half by 11s on the back of chairs. If you haven't filled one out, please take the time to do that. As we move into this new year, we're coming up with some plans to, to uh, work on discipleship and train ourselves better in the things of God, which is a lifelong project that we never need to take a break from. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Also, Winter Ramp, we've talked about taking up an offering for the youth. It's, it's just about, I think, from probably pretty much close to being, being met, the need for that. But if you do want to give towards that, you can do it by check when the box is back there. Again, I always forget to tell you that we do take offerings back there in those little boxes. Um, but um, if you give one back there for the youth, please put youth in the memo. If you go online and give, there's a place to pick what fund. There's two choices of funds, general fund or special offering. If you click special offering, all that money will go to the youth. So thank you for all your generous giving so far. That's moving that project right along to get our young people uh, down to Cleveland, Tennessee for a uh, winter ramp series of meetings. Um, there's an upcoming men's study. Do we have a slide for that? Um, I think the Powers family is just taking over. Uh, as the <laughs> uh, So men's Bible study coming up on January 2nd. It's on a Tuesday at 6 p.m., and there's the topic that they're going to share. Tyler's going to lead that. Elizabeth leads one. Uh, on Wednesdays, uh, Gideon, so encourage you to participate in that as well. So a couple of information, informational things there. And since I always forget to say this at the end of service, not always, but almost always forget to say at the end of service, I will say it now. At the end of every service, we pray for people. So if I forget to say that, there will be people up here praying for folks. If you have a prayer need, whatever it is, then please, after service, come up and get that. And there probably is a slide that goes up that says we're praying, but just don't forget that. We'll close with a, a verse, we'll dismiss, and the altar will be open for people to receive prayer. Okay. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us because there's all kinds of great stuff in the Word. But there's also, Jesus taught this all the time, that there's a responsibility to us as hearers, Amen. that we should be good hearers. We should listen well. Uh, there's notepads out there you can take notes. I just might actually say something worth jotting down. So you should always have that handy just in case or your smart device or whatever because little nuggets can be given to you. And also something else that I think is important to take notes down is I may be heading in a certain direction. I mean this seriously. And I may say something and I want to prove point A, but the Holy Spirit may drop in point B in your heart. Like, oh, that makes me think of this. Well, I, I, I give you permission as if I have to, to always listen to those nuggets from the Holy Spirit. I'll never go by and say, well, I want you to get point A. 
Well, I'm so sorry that the Holy Spirit gave me point B on that. So yeah, I'll always listen to the Lord and you'll jot things down that may not even be my intent. But God says this, that you need no man teach you. Now, obviously, he established the office of the teacher. But he said, but the Holy Spirit teaches us. And so even as a a guy or a gal is, is teaching or preaching, unless the Holy Spirit really solidifies that in your heart, then you've just heard a speech or something and you go away and forget most of it. So always be prepared to be good hearers, good listeners. So Lord, we come before you right now because you said that when we hear the word and we retain it, we keep it, we hold on to it, that it produces a harvest of righteousness in us, 30, 40 60, 100 times what was sown into our lives. Lord, you give big return on your word. And so we say, Holy Spirit, help us. And Lord, you also told us, Jesus, you told us this, that when the word gets sown into our heart, immediately Satan comes to steal that word out of our heart. So we say, Holy Spirit, guard our hearts. Help us, Lord. We, we declare uh, we're not scared of the enemy. Uh, we know, Jesus, you defeated him. But he'll try to sneak in covertly. We say, no, no, no. We're going to retain that word and let it produce a harvest, a life-changing harvest in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's, let's look at Matthew as we move into this beautiful season of the year. Matthew 1, 18 through 20, 25. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin... She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Wow. Jesus means God saves. And so he was, Jesus is a savior. So today we're going to talk about embracing your Mary miracle. Now just for clarity, I'm not talking about Mary's going to give you a miracle. No. Mary's not a miracle giver. God's a miracle giver. Mary was used for a miracle. What we are going to see is that as God used Mary to do deep and moving and meaningful things in her life, that affected the world around her, God wants to use us like that as well. He wants us to experience that same process that Mary experienced in a spiritual level. The prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 7 is what Matthew quoted, that the virgin will conceive, have a child, and he'll be named Emmanuel, God is with us. Um, Now there's always some struggle because we human beings like to package things just cerebrally. You know, just, we, we like textbook kind of stuff. And I'm not opposed to that. I'm kind of wired up that way. But it can't stop there. Because Christianity is spiritual. I want you to know that. It's supernatural. 
And so when you try to take everything supernatural out of Christianity, then you really do end up with just dead religion. It's just facts and information. Just something just popped into my mind. Do you remember that when Herod wanted to kill the babies, he went to the Bible scholars and said, where was he who is to be born king of the Jews? And they told him just like that. They knew that word inside and out. In fact, Jesus one time challenges them and says, you know the word inside and out. You think the word can save you. He said, the word doesn't save you. He said, he said it points you to me, but you refuse to come to me to receive life. And so the word, please hear me, I love the word. The word of God points us to Jesus. The word of God points us to, to our faith and how to live it and walk it and do those things. So I obviously love the word, but I want you to know that the word's pointing us to Jesus. And so this prophecy, there's the scholar's voice said, well, you know, the, the Old Testament word uh, that they translate virgin could also be translated uh, a young lady or a young maiden. So maybe she wasn't really a virgin. And they struggle with that because, I don't know if you know this or not, but by the science of the birds and the bees, virgins don't have babies. Okay, so they're saying, well, let's, let's figure out how to make this, you know, logical. God's kingdom's not always logical by our human logic. Paul had to say one time, he said, okay, I want to explain something to you. I am teaching you very wise stuff, but it's not the wisdom of this world. It's not the wisdom of this world. It's, it's the wisdom of God and the wisdom of God. Things aren't always logical in the kingdom. I mean, we talk, seas don't part, axe heads don't float, people don't walk on water. There's all kinds of stuff we look at and say, wow, God had authority over the natural realm. Why did he have authority over the natural realm? Because he created it. He's God of heaven and earth. He created it. So he has authority over that. And so we look here and we say, well, let's try to explain it away. Let's not try to explain it away because the Holy Spirit who inspired Isaiah to write those words also inspired Matthew to write the words. And he chose a Greek word parthenos, which means only virgin. doesn't mean young maiden. It means only virgin. And then I think when I'm thinking about how we like to argue about words and stuff, I think, did we forget the rest of the story? We have the whole story. It really shouldn't be a mystery. The angel says, you're going to bear a child. And Mary said, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel acknowledged that she was a virgin, said the power of the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. By the way, years ago, there's a lady in our church who knew the word well. And she worked for a guy, and uh, he was trying to be very snide as this time of the year, and they were talking about the virgin birth. And he said, so basically what you're saying is God was a pedophile had sex with a kid. I mean, first of all, I want you to know that. God's not a man, and so it wasn't a sexual relationship. And also, because in our culture, they say Mary was probably somewhere between 14 and 16 years old. I don't know. But in our culture, we go, oh my goodness, that's, that's a little kid. But I do want you to know, you don't have to roll the clock back too many years, 100 years ago. Young ladies, 14, 15, and 16, were getting married all the time. You roll the clock back earlier because there wasn't a world then where they say, you know, let's not worry about finding a guy right now. Let's finish high school and let's finish college and let's get your master's degree and let's get you entrenched into your career because it really wasn't the world that was on there. I mean, people were saying, I'm, I'm going to be a mom. I'm going to be a wife. There wasn't that path. And I'm not opposed to us having that path today. I get that. But I am saying it's not odd or unusual. And so, but she was sharp enough at the word to say, no. It, God's not a man. It wasn't a sexual relationship. What happened is God's powerful. When he speaks, 
galaxies are created. When he talks, stuff happens. And the power of the Holy Spirit did a supernatural work in her. So should anybody be rude enough to say something like that, you can let him know, you don't know God very well, do you? Because he's not a person, he's not a man, he's a spirit. And he's powerful and he did a mighty thing in her. And so here Joseph realizes again from another angel in a dream that she hasn't been unfaithful. What's conceived in her is in her by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the virgin birth. And so why, why a, a virgin birth? You may say, what, what's up with that? Well, there's multiple reasons for that. One big reason is this. It's the fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah said the virgin will conceive and have a child. It's the fulfillment of prophecy. Last week, we, the angel said this to Mary, and it's a really great verse to lock down. It's Luke 1.37. It says, no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. Now, my words that I think God might have said, or my wishful thinking, or my hopes, or any of those things, God's not responsible to fulfill those. But when God gives a word that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, God is with us, that word won't fail. That will happen. It will happen. And so it was one, the fulfillment of prophecy. The second thing, and two and three kind of run together. The second thing is we think of our human life starting at conception and then at, at birth at the, at the birthing center. And so we mark there's the beginning of our life. But that wasn't the beginning of Jesus' life as the word, as God. It seems like for the last couple of years I've mentioned the Gospel of John chapter 1 because it's so powerful. The Bible says in the Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. By the way, Word's in a capital W because it's a person. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this Word person that we're seeing, we find in verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh, or became a human being, and dwelt among us, and we beheld the only begotten of the Father. So what's going on? God the Word clothed himself in a human body and was born among us. The virgin birth is important because it shows us that his life didn't just begin there, but the Word is from everlasting to everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And so he's not just a man. And that's my point in point three. It revealed that Jesus was both God and man. Very God and very man, the church fathers used to say. Very God and very man. And the fourth thing, uh, my, my belief in how this happens, you don't have to believe, but I can tell you that without a doubt... The scripture clearly says that since the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, every human being has been born with a sin nature since then. Everyone. We know that, and we mention this often. Uh, you yourself as a little child, or if you're a parent of little children, you honestly, I know we laugh about it, but I want you to think about this. We do not have to teach them to do wrong. We don't have to teach. Uh, little children, they know, they know how to lie. They know how to manipulate. They know how to... Now, generally, when they're younger, they're not very good at it. But they, they realize that I, I may get my way by doing this. They know how to play mom and dad against each other. They know how to, they know how to do all this stuff. And, and they may have been raised and probably were raised in an environment where that wasn't the, what was modeled for them. Where did they get this? 
I'm playing one of my, told you this one time, I'm playing one of my little kids, which will remain nameless to protect the guilty. I'm playing one of my little kids in some game like Candyland or something, and they're cheating to win. They're like three or four years old. And I'm going, oh my goodness, that sin nature is coming out. I got to win. I got to be on top. I've got to be number one. I crushed them in Candyland just to teach them a spiritual lesson. Um, actually, I don't remember who won, but I, I remember thinking, oh my goodness. And again, they were like three or four years old, so they weren't even good at it. it wasn't, they weren't good at it, but I thought there's that, that nature in us that, that is in every human being that's been born since the fall of mankind in the garden. Now, here's the part you don't have to believe, but I think it makes sense, is that I believe that sin nature is passed along from the man in, in conception. That's passed along from the man, not from the lady. The scripture clearly teaches, this is a scriptural fact, that Eve, now it wasn't that she didn't sin, but it came from being deceived. What Eve did, she believed, was actually good and okay. Because she was deceived. That's what the scripture teaches. Eve was deceived. Sorry guys, but it says, but Adam sinned. Say, so what, what, is, what is he saying? He's saying Adam did what he did knowing it was wrong, knowing it violated the will of God. Eve was tricked and duped by the devil. And he can do that to men and women both. But I believe that's why the sin nature comes from man. And we're going to circumvent that process in the Christmas story. We're going to circumvent that because there's not going to be a man involved in this. There's going to be the Holy Spirit holiness here, not sin. So, therefore, Jesus was the sinless Son of God, the perfect sacrifice, without spot, without blemish, without any sin on his life. And the goal of Jesus, the goal of Jesus, he came to seek and save that which is lost. And the goal of Jesus is to save us from our sins. In fact, that's what John the Baptist said when he came to be baptized. He pointed out Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's his goal, to take away sins. But you cannot rescue a, sinless, a sinful human being by the sacrifice of another sinful human being. You, you can't do that. And so even the, the foreshadowing of the sacrifices in the Jewish temple were, they had to be spotless lambs. They had to be without spot or blemish. You were to bring the best of the best. But the earth can only produce the best of the best, and it's not perfect. But Jesus was the spotless, perfect, sinless, holy lamb of God to take away the sins of the world was a perfect sacrifice. And some could say, well, well, if he didn't have a sin nature, then it was impossible for him to sin, so it's not much of a test. No, it was not impossible for Jesus to sin. It was not impossible. Adam and Eve had no sin nature in them. And they sinned. They were duped by the devil. And so it was possible for Jesus to sin. The devil knew it was possible for Jesus to sin. And so as Jesus comes off a 40-day fast where he's weak, Satan comes. Because I'll tell you this. Satan is a mean, ugly, bad person. And he will take advantage of your weakest moment. He's not there to say, he's not saying, you know, it's kind of like that, those animals in the wild. You know, a lion never looks out and says, let's not get that gazelle. It looks like they're limping a little bit, and that just wouldn't be fair. No, they go, they look for anything they can exploit to have a meal. 
And the devil was there to take advantage of that, what he perceived to be a weak moment in Jesus. And after you've been fasting, which means going without food for 40 days, which by the way, I'm not suggesting that you do that at all. I mean that. Um, you know what Jesus might have been? He might have been hungry. What was one of the temptations? The devil says, yeah, if you're the son of God, turn this, these rocks and stones into bread. Hmm. The good news is, Jesus is bread. He is our bread, our bread from heaven. And so he survived all that, and the Bible says the devil decided he would wait for a more opportune time. He didn't say he was gone forever. He was looking for another moment or opportunity, and uh, Jesus survived it all, lived a sinless life. So now we have the Virgin Mary with child, and before the story is over, she'll be described in Luke chapter 2 in the King James Version as being great with child. Let's look at that. Luke 2, 4 through 6. I'm going to read out the King James. Now you might notice I use different translations at times. In case I've never explained it, but I probably have. I don't look, I, I heard somebody accuse a pastor one time, and I was pretty familiar with their teaching, so I know they didn't do this. He just looks for a translation that says what he wants the Bible to say. Well, good translations, if you look at them, say the same things. They just use different word choices. So there are times when I want to teach maybe Romans 12, 1 and 2, and Romans 12, 1 starts out with, I beseech ye therefore brethren. Okay, I love the King James. I love the 1600 Elizabethan Shakespearean English, but most of us don't talk that way. So I beseech you, therefore, loses people right like that. So I'll look for a translation that says, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Oh, okay, I get that. I urge you. I plead with you. I beg with you. And so, which is what beseech means. I'm pleading with you. But I want, I want people to understand the point. Well, the King James, I think, is masterful in these verses at setting a mental picture because I like words. And words, you know, cause concepts and visions in your mind. And so I think it sets out a good picture here. So in Luke 2, 4 through 6, King James and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So we, we're moving Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem. And that's a 70-mile journey. There's some of you who don't want to go 70 miles in your climate-controlled car on a good road. So she is great with child, and I know she doesn't want to take the journey, but God orchestrates everything, so you're going to take the journey. You know why they're going to take the journey? Because God said the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. So they're going to take the journey, and God orchestrates how to make it happen. The other thing I think is interesting about God is I believe he loves symbolism. He loves the... the the symbolic pictures that are in things. Bethlehem means the house of bread. And so Jesus, who is often referred to as the bread who came down from heaven, the bread of life, in our communion, he broke the bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Bread is often correlated to the Messiah. And so I think, it's just my opinion, not like I understand God's mind, but I do see how he loves symbolism, that it made sense to me, ah, the, the house of bread. Also, Bethlehem was the hometown of King David. So this census that was going on, so they could tax the people, everybody had to go back to their original town. So there's a lot of descendants of King David, and they're packing out Bethlehem. That's why there's no room in the end. The place is packed out, 
And so they're going back there. And the scriptures you'll notice, and you'll think, I wonder why they keep saying that. Uh, because Joseph was of the lineage of David. Because no word from God will ever fail. And God looked at David one day and said, you will always have a descendant on the throne. And one day, there'll be a king on that throne whose kingdom will never end and will come through your lineage. Both Joseph and Mary could trace their genealogy back to King David. So, here's Joseph, and it says he's going to Bethlehem to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. I like that phrase. Now, some of you ladies, when you had babies, you were just this tiny little thing who just got this little pooch out here, okay? And although you were bigger than you normally were, I don't call that being great with child. Not taken away from your pregnancy, I just see that. But was there anybody here, ladies, who would like to admit it, that when you had babies, you were great with child? May I see your hands? Okay. Yeah. What do you mean great with child? Everything's grown. Not just your belly. Your hands, your face, your legs, your feet. You used to early on say, I don't know how I'm going to get my feet in my shoes. But then it got to a point, I don't know how I get my feet in my socks. You know, I'm, get, I'm so great with child. And Mary was great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished. And here's one of my other favorite phrases in the story from the King James. The days were accomplished that she, Mary, should be delivered. I love that phrase because if you've been great with child, you couldn't wait for the day that you were delivered. I mean, yeah, you wanted to deliver the baby too and you wanted to hold the baby in your arm, but you were saying, I'm done with this. I am done. When our firstborn, Sean, was born, we went to the doctor's office for a routine visit and they... Uh, checked Darlene out and said, hey, the baby's under stress. Go straight to the hospital. Do not pass go. And they didn't give us a sense of alarm, like it was dangerous. But they said, we, we want to watch this. And so they watched and watched and watched and watched. And they said, well, let's induce labor. So they induced labor. And one doctor came on duty and went off duty. The next doctor came on duty and went off duty. The next doctor came on duty. And Darlene's been in, in delivery mode for about 20 hours plus. So Dr. Kirkpatrick... She came in, talked to Darlene, said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Now, this is what we heard for 20 hours. We're going to uh, watch you a little longer, you know, monitor things and do this. As she finished that statement, Darlene's arm went up and grabbed her by the arm. And she said, take this baby. After the staff pried her fingers off Dr. Kirkpatrick's arm. Okay, that was a slight exaggeration. But Dr. Kirkpatrick left and came back and said, we're going to take this baby. We're going to do a cesarean. We're going to take the baby. Now, back in that day, anybody experienced the new birthing center in Columbus Regional? Anybody had a baby in there? Yeah. That thing's beautiful. These rooms were clunkers, man. I mean, I'm talking, they were little tiny rooms. I was sitting in, you think the women got it hard? I was sitting in a broken down recliner, okay? So the suffering I went through, okay. None of the women are being compassionate for me. I can see that. And uh, so they took her out, and then they told her, they said, now, if we do a local or something, it'll take a little while, and it'll delay the process, but your husband can come in for this cesarean, and said, but we can put you out, 
and we'll take that baby right now. And she said, send my apologies to my husband. And uh, little did she know, I was thinking, thank the Lord, because I could see myself there watching that going, oh, I don't know if I would have survived the thing. But uh, so that's how Sean came into the world, because she was ready to be delivered from being great with child. Jack Hayford wrote a little book called The Mary Miracle. And he talks about the, the physical realities of what Mary went through and the spiritual realities for us. Now, I thought about that book, and I went looking for it everywhere because I had a bunch of them, and I would give them away because they're really cool. They're just little books. I couldn't find one, but I, th I think I can remember the, the basic process of, of the physical with the spiritual connection that I want to share with you. In the spiritual sense, each of us should bear Jesus in our beings. Now, I know it's not like physical pregnancy, but we should bear that. Remember, information is good, and it leads us, should point us to Jesus, but information that alone that stops there is not enough. What happens is, Colossians 1.27 tells us this. It says that God was up to something. I, if you read the story, it's really fascinating to think it through. But God's up to something. And the heaven knows he's up to something, but they can't figure out what he's up to. And it said the prophets of old, and even the angels, longed to look into what God was up to. It was a mystery. I just kind of picture, you know, stuff going down on earth. I'm sure it doesn't work like this, but angels, we always talk about them leaning over the banister of heaven as if there is one. Looking going, what's going on there? What is he up to? He was up to something. But then we discover in Colossians chapter 1 that the mystery that's been hidden for ages has now been revealed to us. And here's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm telling you, I, I mean this. If, I've said this before, not a lot, but I'll say it again. If you would feel about Jesus the way I feel about Jesus, you would give your life to Jesus. Because when I start thinking, man, the God of all the universe reveals a mystery to us that was hidden through the ages, that even the angels and the prophets long to look into, that one day, there would be a Savior that would come into the world. And to as many as received him, to those who called upon his name, he gave them the right to be the children of God. And Christ, the mystery, hidden through the ages, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we bear Christ in our beings. Now you could say, well, how's that work? I have no idea. I really don't know how all that works. And you say, well, I don't know if I could do it until I know how it all works. I, I wouldn't roll out of bed if I had to only do things I understood how they worked. I don't get it. I don't get really how this microphone works. I don't get how people are watching on Facebook Live. I don't get how, how if we had the right device near, we could tune in probably 100 different radio stations or TV stations that are just all here in this room somehow. How? I don't know. I don't know how the world revolves around the sun, how it spins every 24 hours. I don't get any of that. You know what? I just get up and go about my day. I hit the key ignition on the car, and some of you just have to push a button, but I still am old school. I got a key I got to turn. Got to turn that key, and everything fires up. And I know if I take that little lever and put it in D, I don't even know what D stands for. Actually, I do. I was just kidding. Put it in D, I'll go forward. Put it in R for backwards. I'll go backwards or reverse, okay? So I don't understand how all that works, but I enjoy it and embrace it and go on. 
So if we've given our lives to Jesus, we're Christ bearers. And when you bear a baby physically, it will stretch you. Ladies, you know this. We, we even call those marks that are left behind stretch marks. They will stretch you. And they'll change the way you walk. They will, physically and spiritually. When you're six weeks pregnant, you can walk just like you always walked. All's fine. You could even be on a model runway and you could just walk glamorously down the runway because you're just six weeks pregnant. Fast forward eight and a half, eight months, two weeks, you don't even walk. It's more like a waddle. It's more like, if you're great with child, and, and, and you might have experienced it or you might have seen it, it kind of works like this, you know, and it's like, you don't feel so glamorous, or, but you know what? There's something in you that is valuable, and so you're willing to walk a little weird. You also have hope. It's nine months. It's not 90 years. It's nine months, and there's hope, so it changes the way you walk. But spiritually speaking, when we're Christ bearers, somebody as huge and magnificent and holy and, and wonderful as God should stretch us. Should stretch us in a good way. Should stretch us. And it should change the way we walk. We, and I don't mean physically, but spiritually speaking. We even use that phrase. If you talk to people and you've been around the church world, you know, this is the phrase. It'll say something like, now if this is your first time in church, you may not know this, that's okay. But we'll say things like this. How's your walk with the Lord going? How are things going in your walk? What's, what's the Lord showing you in your walk with him? You know, it's a walk. And all of a sudden we begin to change the way we walk. We may say, and we should say this, the Jesus in me is so beautiful, so wonderful, so valuable, I want to protect that walk. So I'm going to watch out what I watch and what I listen to and who gets the influence of my mind and my eyes and my heart. I'm going, to, I'm going to watch who I hang with. Well, shouldn't we hang with sinners and bring them to Jesus? Yeah, you'll, you'll get plenty of opportunities to hang with sinners. But I am saying, your primary focus of influence in your life, you, you might need to change that. Some of you, your lives could be transformed by changing who you hang with. You say, but I just would feel so bad. I, I get it. I get it. But is he worth it? Is what's stirring in you worth it? Is the one in you worth it? Now, I'm not asking you to be ugly or mean to people, you know, who, who don't know the Lord. But you know there's people that would encourage you not to be in the house of the Lord today. They would encourage you not to be so excited about your faith. They would encourage you to not. Those, you don't need that. You need what we talked about last week. You need a group of people around you who are championing you and celebrating you and pushing you forward in your walk with God. And so we, we watch how we walk. We watch our intake. All those things are input into our lives, what we listen to, watch, who we hang with. And, and the, a pregnant mama oftentimes will say, let's, let's say she's been doing some tobacco, maybe even a little drugs, drinking, all this stuff. And she, if she values what's in her, she'll say, you know what? I'm going to put aside the tobacco, the alcohol, the drugs. I'm going to put all that aside. I'm going to try to be healthy because what's in me is so precious and so valuable that I want to give it its best shot at life and growth and health. The one who is in you is so beautiful and so valuable, and so are you, that you should give Jesus the best chance of transforming your life, and you should give yourself the best chance of winning in life by embracing all that Jesus wants to do in you. Hmm.
So be careful. Be careful about your input. And I believe that God wants every one of us to experience that Mary miracle. Again, it's not a miracle for Mary. It's a miracle by watching what went on in her naturally and us doing that spiritually. Sometimes, though, we feel like, well, I'm not special. I don't know if God could do a miracle in my life or change my life. Yeah. And, and by the way, I really mean this. You are special. I, I want you to know that. And God wants us to have a miracle, Mary miracle in our life. And if we just talk about natural things, I want you to know it's no disrespect, but Mary wasn't special to the world. There's nothing I've read in Scripture or in history that said Mary was stunningly beautiful. Never read that. There's nothing I read in the Bible or in Scripture that she was from a powerful family, rich, influential political, military, none of that. There's, there's nothing in scripture, nothing in history I've ever read said she was a, a, a socialite or an elite. She was not. There's nothing I've ever read or heard about Mary that would lead us to believe that, wow, when you know this about Mary, you'll know she was just head and shoulders above the other maidens of the day. No. She did have something going for her, though pretty big deal. She was chosen by God, big deal, and found favor in his sight. Now, if you've been chosen by God and found favor in his sight, that's all you need. That's all you need. That is all you need. But I want two million followers on my, no, no. That's all you need. I don't care if you have two million followers on whatever you're social site might be, but I do want you to notice, I don't know anyone that's going to hear this as you step before heaven's gates and they say, how many followers did you have before I let you in? No, you don't hear that at all. Don't hear it at all. And so we are special. And I, I want you to know this if you say, well, I wish I was chosen. I wish I was special. I wish I was was, had favor with God. Well, let me read you this scripture written from Jesus' right-hand man, Peter. He wrote this in 1 Peter 2, 9. Uh, by the way, this was written to Gentiles. This was not written to Jewish people. If we read the next verse, we would know that. You, you were once not a people, but now you're the people of God. It's the next verse, so it wasn't the Jewish people. It was written to Christians who also were in a very hard time in their life because we talk about coming to the Lord can make things better in your life, which in a, in a sane culture it does, but in an insane culture it doesn't. And these people came to the Lord, and naturally speaking, things weren't better in their life. They were going through hard times because of their commitment to Jesus. And so Peter's writing them this word, and he says, I want you to know something about this. He said, hey, people, and this is to them, this is to us, it is to a group, and it's to us individually. So receive this on a personal level. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You got the royalty side flowing through you, and you got the priestly side flowing through you. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. If we took time to study this, He's, he's given them the big things that everybody looks at and says, yeah, but the Jewish people. Okay, let me say this. He's saying, you people know Jesus. You are God's special possession. 
Wow. Yes, yes, yes. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So you are chosen, you are holy, you are special. God has called you. And those are good things. So we can say, like Mary, I have been chosen by God and I have the favor of God. So the miracle of Christmas is that God wants to use ordinary old me and ordinary old you to work through. So God gives us these, Peter in the previous chapter says that God gives us very great, now not just great, I always like how God describes things, it's always got lots of adjectives and adverbs in it because it's, it's not just this, it's bigger than that. God gives us very great and very precious promises, plural, promises. We have the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ, that's the greatest one, but there's all kinds of promises. And so, 1 Peter 1, 4 tells us that. If you want to look that up later, God gives us great and precious promises. So, when God finds someone, and I believe that someone's me and you, and hopefully all the other people gathering in houses of worship, watching online, that they're saying, hey, I've given my life to God. God's chosen me. He's given me favor. Then God wants to, somebody to get a hold of a promise. Listen to me. He wants you to get a hold of a promise and keep a hold of it. Remember what we started off with? That when we hear the word and retain the word, that means keep it. We've heard the word and we're keeping the word. We're not letting go of it. That produces a harvest of righteousness. So a promise comes to you and you grab onto it. So Mary, a promise came to her from the angel. You're going to have a child. And then the promise grows in you. That promised child physically, literally grew in Mary. But Jesus, I mean, he doesn't grow physically in us, but his, his kingdom grows in us as we submit to it and yield to it and keep holding on to these promises. So these promises grow in you, and then the promises come through you. Maybe you've got a promise that you'll be a person of prayer. That's in the Bible. Maybe there's a promise that you'll be an encourager. Maybe there's a promise you'll be a helper. Maybe there's all kinds of promises in God's word. And you get hold of those promises. And once they come through you, you start doing number four. You start changing the world around you. Your words of encouragement, your prayer, your help, your hope. Maybe you got a teaching gift. And you begin to teach and share. It, it could be one of a hundred different things. And God uses that to change the world around you. Now, the world around you, I don't know. It may be three people. It may be 30 people, it may be 3,000 people, or 3 million people. It does not matter, because as I mentioned earlier, when we stand before the Lord, he's going to say these words, well done, thou good, not good and successful, good and popular, good global world changer. He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. Enter the joy of the Lord, because you were faithful. You were faithful in a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. So what, however big our world around us is, it doesn't matter. Let's just be faithful. Let's be faithful to that world. So this miracle, I want to embrace it. I want you to embrace it this season where we just say, okay, God, I'm yours. I'm grabbing a hold of your promise. I want that promise to grow in me. Then I want it to get some maturity to where it can come through me. I want it to be full of life so it can come through me and change the world around me. And if you and I and everyone who called Jesus Lord, if we would do that by, by his power, by his might, by his design, we would change the world.
We would change the world by allowing this process to happen in our lives. So I want us to pray. And let's just tell the Lord, you got permission to do that process in me. Mary had to do that. Mary paused and said, how can this be? And then she went to acceptance where she said, may it be done to me as you have said. Let's pray that prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you for this process and this promise. And we want to have that heart of Mary who was quick to go from apprehension and anxiety to acceptance. And so we say, Lord, today, may it be done to me as your word has said. Lord, your promises come to us, grow in us, go through us, and change the world around us. And we say, yes, Lord, we submit to that process. We want to be a blessing to those around us. And we ask for your help in this. We need your power, Holy Spirit, for that to happen.